Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com and visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog at writerwriterpantsonfire.blogspot.com. I'm looking for support in 2018 to keep the show going and have started a GoFundMe. If the show has been of any help to you on your writing journey, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating so that I can continue airing. Visit GoFundMe.com and search for Writer Writer Pants on Fire to contribute. Today's guest is Katie Ernst, the co-founder of Selecta Story, a company which produces interactive stories on Amazon Alexa and Google Home. Think a choose-your-own-adventure audiobook that you can talk to. Katie joined me to share more about the company, how voice devices can be beneficial to authors, and how authors can go about writing one. Born to privilege, trained for command, destined for danger. Master and Commander meets Sarah J. Moss in a seafaring adventure of duty, love, magic, and a princess's quest to protect her kingdom on her own terms. Air and Ash, an addicting new YA fantasy adventure by Alex Lydell. The first thing I want to talk to you about is the fact that you are a practicing lawyer as well as a writer. A lot of people say they would write if only they had more time. And I'd like to introduce them to you. Clearly, you have a mastered time management. Any tips? I've thought about this question a lot. There are the obvious tips that you could give, making sure you say no to things that you can't do. I think that it's important to know when you can multitask and when you can't. If I have a brief to write, a painting to write, because I actually right now I'm working as a law clerk for a judge. And so that means that I write all of his opinions and I do all of his legal research for him. So if I have a 25 page opinion to write, I just sit down and I do it and I don't go on Facebook and I don't go on anything else. And I just do that for five hours or however long it takes me to do the research and I get it done. And then I move on to the next thing. Cause I think that the biggest thing that takes up your time is switching tasks from one thing to another. You really have to love what you do. I love my current job. I work for a judge. That's an amazing man. I feel good about everything that we're doing. I like going to work. I look forward to it. I like everyone that I work with. And so when I'm done at the end of the day, I don't feel depleted. And so then I have time to work on other tasks or I have energy to work on other tasks. I feel like some people, especially when they have this dream of being a writer, they have this idea that I have this job right now that I really hate, but I'm going to write a novel and that first novel I write is going to be a major success. And then I'm going to be able to quit my job and I won't have to do this thing that I hate anymore. If you hate your job every day, when you get home, you're not going to have the energy to write. Some people love writing and I appreciate those people, but I am not one of those people. I actually hate writing. I love having written, but I hate writing. And Mm -hmm. so if I felt depleted at the end of the day, there's no way I could force myself to write. The fact that I love what I'm doing during the day allows me to do that. So the biggest piece of advice I would give is that if you're thinking, oh, I'll just stick out this job that I hate so that I can eventually leave it to be a writer, I would say write, but then also look for a job that you don't hate because you'll have to have that job for far longer than you believe, even if you do hit it big. So keep doing what you're doing, but enjoy what you're doing. That's absolutely true. I stayed in a job that did not pay well simply because I did love it. I was working as an aide in a library. And the reason why I left, the pay was not great at all by any sense, but 
the job was changing. They were eliminating the position and turning that into a classroom aid. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. That's not something I care about. Why would I do that? For that money, no way. And so I think it's a really great point that you're making that if you love what you do, number one, you will do it for a very little amount of money. Yes. But for another, it, is it will deplete you if you hate it. And right. that imaginative, creative well is very hard to refill under any circumstances. And you certainly can't tap that when you are emotionally and mentally drained at the end of your eight-hour day. Absolutely. I mean, I was a practicing attorney and I made a ton of money and I hated my job. I didn't even work that hard at the job per se, but the mental energy it took to continue to show up to a place that I hated was too much. I didn't have anything left over. It's also important to note, as you were saying, that looking at writing and becoming a novelist as a trap door from escaping your current job, if you hate it, is simply unrealistic. Finally, when my fifth book came out, I was able to say I had enough financial stability to maybe give it a shot Mm -hmm. to quitting the job. I was fortunate in that that dovetailed along with the job changing and I wanted to quit. I've had good book deals, but there was still no way on earth that I would be able to support myself on what I was making without supplemental income. So yeah, that's a great point. You cannot say... I'm going to become a novelist and that's going to be my job. I think it's something like, and I am totally pulling this out of my rear, but I'm pretty sure it's something like 2% of published authors only, right? They don't have other jobs or a spouse that supports them. It's definitely not a trapdoor into a magical land. No, I think I've read that of authors who have had two or more books published by a major publisher, two thirds of them have another full-time job. And that doesn't even count the authors that, like you said, might have a spouse that supports them. Definitely the exception and not the rule that you can support yourself from writing. Absolutely. And a lot of people, when they think about writers, they think about Stephen King or they think about James Patterson. They make a lot of money, but they've also been doing it for the vast majority of their lives. Yes. (laughs) Stephen King was very poor for a long time. (laughs) Very poor. So that's the kind of thing you've got to remember. There are some Cinderella stories out there, but they're rare. Whenever I am talking to young people that want to become writers, I always encourage them like, yes, right. Absolutely right. You can have your head in the clouds, but you got to have your feet on the ground at the same time. Get a job that you can enjoy. Get a job that you will like. Major in something that will get you a job that will (laughs) feed you and that you like, and then go be a writer. You are the co-founder of Select-A-Story, which provides interactive stories for Amazon Alexa and Google Home. So can you explain to our listeners what an interactive story is? An interactive story, if you are my age, which is 35 or a little bit older, you would think of them as being like choose-your-own-adventure books. I've recently learned from talking to people, if I talk to people who are around 25 and I explain the concept, they say, oh, like Goosebumps. And I don't remember Goosebumps having an interactive aspect to them, but I guess there was a subset of Goosebumps books that did. But if you're older, you think Choose Your Own Adventure. I think Choose Your Own Adventure, I think of those books with the white covers. In the 80s and 90s, Choose Your Own Adventure books sold 250 million copies. So it was a huge, huge thing. The Choose Your Own Adventure is actually a trademark 
that got sold to somebody and they, somebody still owns it and they still sell books on Amazon, but they don't really promote it in any sort of way. With Select a Story, what happened was my husband and I, we had just gotten one of these Echo devices, which is these devices that allow you to talk to it. It's like a speaker that you can talk to. It answers to the name Alexa. And so we were talking one night and we had just gotten this and all of a sudden the speaker started talking to us and she said, you know, you're in the woods and something happened and do you go left or right? And we were like, what? Uh, left, you know? And so then she says another scene and then she's, do you do this or that? We somehow accidentally activated her because she's only supposed to respond if you say, Alexa, do such and such. Whatever we said, she misinterpreted. And it turned out that we had inadvertently opened what is now the most popular interactive story platform on Alexa called The Magic Door. It was so exciting. And we're like, oh, that's so cool. And so then the next day, we're like, oh, let's try this out again. I Googled it. I tried to figure out what had happened. I realized what was called The Magic Door. So this time I purposefully said, Alexa, open The Magic Door. And then this time when we listened to it, we were like, well, this story is not that great. And I don't want to impugn them because they have over a million users. But the people who make the magic door are a husband and wife team. And the husband codes it and the wife writes the stories. And she doesn't have any writing background. And they kind of did this on a lark for fun. Alexa has existed for the last two and a half years. Independent companies can develop for Alexa, just like you can self-publish books on Amazon, on Kindle Direct Publishing. You can independently make applications for Alexa, but it kind of became popular. So she's written more and more of these kinds of stories. But what I immediately realized when I played it the second time is that anytime it seems like you have a choice in the story, you don't. For instance, and this isn't from their story, but I'm just giving as an example. If it said, would you like to fight the dragon or run away? If you picked fight the dragon, the response back from Alexa might be, you thought about fighting the dragon, but then you realized that was a bad idea and you ran away anyway. They're always false decision points. None of them are real or very few of them are. Beyond that, there wasn't much narrative content to the stories because like I said, the people who are creating this aren't professional writers. And so I was like, wow, this was such a cool experience. But wouldn't it be better if number one, all of the narration was done by a professional voice actor because the way the magic door does it, it's just an Alexa's robot voice, which can get annoying after a while to listen to. So wouldn't it be cool if it was professionally narrated? And wouldn't it be cool if the stories were written by professional writers who understand story and arc and all of that? And so that's basically what formed the company and what we're doing. I love that idea that you saw something and you thought, that's so awesome. And I love the concept, but I think it can be better. I mean, that's what it really boils down to. The Echo platform, last year, only about 7% of the U.S. population owned one of these devices. But after this last Christmas, it is now somewhere between 35 and 40% of American households have one of these devices. The rate at which people are getting these things is amazing. But even of the people who have them, most people just use them to play music. So they'll say, Alexa, play me my 80s playlist, and then she'll play you music. But you can talk to her and ask her other things. You can ask her what the weather is going to be like. You can ask her to set all kinds of timers. But then also you can play games with her, although those are very much in their infancy. And there's a lot of conversation in the voice development world about how to design a interface that isn't annoying because people don't want to sit there and listen for a long time to something that's not interested in. 
So games is a fairly new thing for various legal technical reasons that I won't get into. It used to be the case that you were not allowed to aim any games or any type of a program whatsoever toward children because of internet privacy laws. But Amazon has instituted a new protocol, which now it no longer violates this law called COPPA. And so therefore you can now create games aimed toward children. And so when they did this, they also announced that they're going to have this competition for the best interactive voice app for children. It doesn't have to be a game. It could be anything for children. And so when we heard that announcement at the very end of October, we being my husband and I, because he is actually a computer programmer, so he's coding all of this. We were like, this is our opening. If we are promoted by Amazon because one of the key aspects is if you're chosen as a finalist in this competition, they will promote you for a month, then that would just really launch us. From when the contest was announced until when you had to enter your voice application, it was about two months. That means we needed to write the story, edit the story, have someone professionally narrate the story, code it, and get it approved by Amazon within those two months. So Mm. I looked at the timeline and I was like, okay, that means that I need to write the story in a week because we need to get moving on everything else. So I sat down one week and I wrote the whole thing and it's about 35,000 words. I'm a fast writer, but that was a lot for me. We got it narrated. It's now been live for about three weeks. We will find out in two weeks whether we are a finalist in this competition, but it's, it's looking pretty good. If we are, then that will just be tremendous for us. That is fantastic. So are you able to access your numbers at this point? Or is that something that did they wait to the end of the contest for you to know? So there's a dashboard that you can look at and know how many unique users you have, how many utterances they make, which is the number of times they talk to the device while they're using your voice application. In the last three weeks, we've had about 1,200 users, unique users, over about 2,000 sessions, and there have been about 13,000 unique utterances. That means that the players who are playing it are really engaged. And that is one of the difficulties that people have had with these types of voice applications is people will kind of open it and then they'll leave it very quickly. Whereas our engagement numbers are really high compared to others. On average, it looks like people are playing through at least one time, but there's this one dashboard where you can watch people play in real time and I'm addicted to it and I need to cut myself off because I need to not be spending my time doing this, but I can literally watch like three people playing at the same time. And I'll be like, Oh no, don't pick that one, you know, and I'll, I'll see what they're doing. It's, it's really fascinating. So that would be the equivalent as a novelist of being able to watch someone highlight pages on their Kindle in real time of your own book. Yeah. And my husband said, it's also kind of like if you had a camera in the Barnes and Noble and you were watching people pick up the book, looking at it, flipping through it, putting it back, or then sitting there reading the whole thing and laughing along with it. It's it's really interesting. Well, that's really great feedback too, because you can know when people lost interest in the story, when they stopped interacting with it. You can do that with Kindle as well. We don't get that information, but I believe the publisher receives that information, how far a reader read into a particular download, or at least you used to be able to. I don't know if that's still the case. I believe that is still the case. It's very good information to look at. And so far, it's been pretty heartening that what actually it seems like people either open the skill and then skill is Amazon's term for voice application. They either open it and then close it immediately or they open it and then they will play for an hour. So Mm. what I'm guessing is happening is if they open it and close it immediately, sometimes as 
happened with me with the um, magic door scenario. You say something to her and she doesn't understand and she opens something other than what you really meant to request. If you accidentally opened it, you might immediately say, hey, Alexa, stop. That's not what I wanted. If people want to be engaging with the skill, they engage with it for a long time. So I'm very heartened by that. We'll see what happens with this contest. But like I said, the magic door, they've already had well more than a million unique users. And this is back when only 7% of the population own one of these devices, whereas now it's 35 to 40%. We could reach millions of monthly users. And obviously, the whole idea from our perspective, aside from the contract that we could provide to authors for their work, is that then that could become a platform to promote their other novels. If somebody plays through your story one time and it gets to the end, right now it just says, would you like to start over? The next time it would say, hey, if you liked this author's story, you would love their novel X. Say yes to add it to your cart now. Wow. That is so awesome. That's absolutely awesome. You (laughs) get that impulse buy right there. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's so cool. Select a story then is currently available on Amazon Alexa and Google Home. Is that correct? It's currently available on Amazon Alexa. It will be available on Google Home in about a month. Okay, great. So if a listener does, in fact, already own an Amazon Alexa, what did they say in order to interact with Select a Story? What's the command or a command that would open up Select a Story? So because right now it's labeled a kid skill, once we're outside of this contest, we're just going to label it a game. But, But while it's labeled a kid skill, you first have to go into the Alexa app search for select a story and enable select a story. Then once you do that, all you have to say is Alexa, open select a story and it'll go. Do you know a child who just can't fall asleep? A new picture book by Pat Zietlow Miller could make a great gift. Check out Wide Awake Bear, recently released by HarperCollins, available at bookstores libraries, and online. Now, currently, you only have the one title available, which is the one that you wrote, and it is a middle grade. So because the original contest was actually aimed towards kids, you wrote a middle grade novel to fit in the parameters of that contest. Is that something that you are going to keep it focused on middle grade, or are you looking to expand that? say at the beginning, we're definitely focusing on middle grade and maybe lower young adult to age 14, just because I really believe that number one, these types of stories are good for that age range, but also kids love these devices. Adults, they just play music. They listen to music. You know, they ask it the weather and that's about it. Kids like to sit there and have a conversation with Alexa or Google Home. They're going to be the early adopters of playing games in, for voice. The other thing is, there was just the Consumer Electronics Show, which is really big in tech circles. Voice assistants are coming in a big way to cars this year and next year. My vision for the future is, imagine you're on a long road trip with your 5-year-old and your 8-year-old or your 8-year-old and your 10-year-old, and they're bored and maybe one of them gets car sick if they look at screens so that doesn't work for them you could play this game as a family it would really pass the time i really think that the car is the place that this is really going to come into its own so for that reason we really want to keep it aimed toward children and young adults although i could see in the far off future maybe adding 
stories that are aimed toward adults, but. Mm -hmm. Well, in me being who I am and just having a dark mind, I was immediately like, oh my gosh, you could make some amazing erotica out of that. (laughs) (laughs) That would be really funny. Although I don't know, even for adults, Amazon has some pretty strict rules about any explicit content on Alexa. Yeah, probably because anyone can access it and you wouldn't want your kid to say something and then it misunderstands and all of a sudden it starts reading you some erotica. I see. No, you're absolutely right. That would not be good. So that's a really, really great point. See, I had a bad idea and you talked me right out of it. (laughs) (laughs) The first story that I had written is Cinder Charming. And the idea is that you can play as either Cinderella or Prince Charming and go on adventures as either character. And so when I sit down to write one of these... What I do is I look at what are the major nodes of the story that I want for each of the characters. And so when I was thinking about Cinderella from her perspective, there's obviously the general Prince Charming route. I thought, well, you know, maybe her father left a will and she could search for the will to prove that the estate is really hers rather than her evil stepfamilies. But then another option that came to mind that seemed pretty obvious is she could try to murder her stepfamily. Wouldn't that be an easy way of taking care of them? I made that one of the choices. At the beginning, once you decide to be Cinderella, you can either search for the will, wait for your prince to come, basically, or commit murder. Um, I've got- <laughs> I'm committing murder. Like, I already decided. <laughs> and of course, that's like the choice that almost everyone picks first. I also realized that I couldn't have committing murder be successful because I can't have an eight-year-old playing a game and commit murder no. and, and that makes their life go well. So hijinks ensue if you pick commit murder. But a, a number of people have said, well, isn't that too much for children. Have you read Harry Potter? Yeah, I mean, we start with a mother dead over her child's cradle, so. (laughs) (laughs) But whenever I point that out to people, I say, well, you understand that Harry Potter is middle grade, but lay people, when they hear something that's aimed toward children, they automatically think in their mind for some reason, like a four-year-old. Well, this isn't four-year-olds. This is for eight to 12-year-olds, so. I'm often asked because of my content, how do you get away with writing this stuff for children. And I'm like, they're not children. I'm writing for (laughs) teens. It's not Nancy Drew out there anymore, guys. No, absolutely. You gave yourself a week to write this story. How did you decide that that was what it was going to be? Was Cinder Charming? What led you to go, oh, that's it? The idea that I came up with was to eventually write a mystery story based on the idea that a celebrity very similar to Kanye West, is murdered, and you're his assistant, and you have to figure out who murdered him. And so you go and interview all kinds of like Kardashians and stuff and find Mm -hmm. out like who murdered him. And so I wrote that, and it was pretty funny. It was meant to be funny. I hope it was funny. Then when this contest came up, it was like, okay, well, that's totally inappropriate. I actually initially planned to write Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood, and I think Hansel and Gretel, and you get to play from two characters from each of those And for some reason, I thought that would equal 30,000 words. I sat down to start writing the Cinderella one first at random, quickly realized that that was itself going to be 35,000 words. And so then I just Mm -hmm. did that. I don't know. I mean, I think Cinderella is a fun story, especially because I'm a feminist. And so I just thought it was really fascinating to write it from a perspective of what if you don't have to just wait for a guy to come save you? Like, what if you could do something else? And for the guy, like, maybe he's not that into finding a wife. Maybe he wants to do something else. So, you know, I had him go searching for a dragon and have to fight a dragon. It tends to be pretty tongue-in-cheek. 
there is always the chance that a, an adult is listening as well. And just like in many movies for children, there's usually humor that is there for the adult that happens to be in the room. Absolutely. Yeah. I was asked by someone else about whether I thought that the humor was too high level. Just ironically, the other weekend I was going through my basement to clean it out and I found things that I had written when I was 11 years old and my humor has not changed at all. Children understand sarcastic humor and they like it. We had to shoot a video for the contest to show the voice application. And so I had my nine-year-old niece come over to play it. And I hadn't told her anything about what I was doing. She knew nothing about it. I just said, hey, say open, select a story and just interact with it. We ended filming it. And she said, hey, Aunt Katie, could I keep playing? And I was like, well, sure, if you want to. So she ended up playing for the next 45 minutes and just absolutely loved it. It was the most heartening thing because... She knows me so well that if she hated it, she would have told me immediately. (laughs) I had a short story that I wrote for middle grade, kind of an experiment. I've never written middle grade. That is a very specific voice. It's a tricky voice. I gave something a shot, like just to see what would happen. And I gave it to my nephew. And I was like, hey, can you read this and just tell me what you think? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he read it and he got a text. And he's like, so I have some thoughts. That's important. It's important to get feedback from your target audience and see what happens. Because like in my case, that particular story, I sent it in to be part of an anthology and it was not chosen. And I wasn't surprised because my nephew had already told me, yeah, it doesn't work. Finding a member of your target audience and getting an opinion is always a good idea. I agree. I've gotten that kind of feedback before too. So (laughs) So you are currently looking for middle grade and YA writers to contribute to Selective Story. Is that correct? Yes, it's very true. So as I mentioned earlier, I really don't like writing that much. I actually mm-hmm. really love publishing. I love interacting with authors. I love editing. I've worked for some other small publishing houses before editing other writers' work. And that's where my passion really lies. And I really need to put my focus on building our company as opposed to writing. As we discussed, it can be difficult to make a living as a writer, but it actually is easier to make a living as a publisher, which is why that's what I'm trying to do. I need submissions from authors, and I'm working with a number of authors right now, but I'm trying to get the word out in general because even though I personally write middle grade and young adult, for some reason, 90% of my network is romance writers. I love romance writers, but it's just not appropriate for this. So hopefully we will get a lot of submissions from YA and middle grade authors. And like I said, I view this as a win-win proposition because we're not only publishing this, so to speak, on Amazon Alexa and Google Home, we're also producing them as print books and eBooks because once you have it written, there's no point not to, of course. And then it also becomes a platform for that author to advertise their traditional novels. As we talked about earlier at the moment, Select a Story is competing to get an endorsement from Amazon. But even if you should not have that endorsement or that feature where they're promoting you, this is still something that will continue, correct? Yes. And right now our growth is it's like 500% week over week. I mean, it's, nice. it's, it's crazy fast. And compared to other developers that I'm in conversations with, I've now become familiar with all of the other developers in the area. And in fact, there's a big conference next week that I was asked to go to. Our engagement numbers are off the charts. Our interaction numbers are off the charts. 
which is why I feel pretty confident that we actually will become a finalist in this competition. But I will be biting my fingernails until I find out for sure. Regardless, we're going forward and we will keep building on the momentum that we have. And that's why I'm getting the word out. I'm really trying to get the word out to authors by talking to you and other writing communities. I'm going to be presenting at the Pen Writers Conference this spring, but also I'm going to be on a number of Alexa-aimed podcasts to get the word out to those types of communities about what's going on there. We know the age range. Do you have a genre in particular that you are looking for that you would like to build up? And when it comes to authors that might want to pitch you a middle grade story, is there something in particular you're looking for? Or do you want to have anything that might attract the interest of a middle grader? So there's no specific genre, but what I would say is that the thing that works best for these types of stories is you need something that is high concept. And I feel like I heard that term for so long and I never knew what it meant. And I thought it meant Mm -hmm. just like, it sounds like a good idea, but basically (laughs) high concept means that you can explain in one sentence what the premise of your story is. And that premise sounds appealing. For instance, like I can say Cinder Charming is a story in which you can play as Cinderella or Prince Charming and go on adventures as either character. Everybody knows who those people are. It doesn't have to be based on fairy tale. It could be a story about you are suddenly turned into a bug or you go into space. It should be something that immediately is evocative and also something that has a lot of external conflict. Suppose it would be possible that you could create one of these stories that is all about internal conflict, but it would be incredibly difficult. And if it was ever done, it would be so brilliant. And I would love that. But for the most part, I think you really need a lot of external conflict. I think too, when it comes to high concept, which I agree with you, that's one of those terms that people love to throw around. But I question if most of us know what it actually means. I hear it so often. And I, too, was always just like, oh, high concept. My interpretation of high concept was that it was something, like, really intellectual. That's what I thought. Me, too. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. And it's actually, like, the total opposite. The total opposite. (laughs) Exactly. I know. Who came up with the term high concept? Some people also think of it as this movie meets that movie. Right. A mashup. Right. But with interactive stories... I mean, yes, the Choose Your Own Adventure books from the 80s and 90s, they all exist. But in terms of what's available on Amazon Alexa, there's almost nothing. So right now, virtually anything is high concept, as long as it is immediately evocative and you can understand what it is that you're saying. I think that mashups can be really helpful when you're trying to pitch something high concept, but you don't want to be really vague either. So mashups can be tough. You have to be able to do them just right. I've been searching for a mashup to explain a novel that I wrote almost 20 years ago, and I actually found it today while I was driving, if John Hughes wrote an X-Files episode. Oh, wow. See? That makes me want to read that. I like that. Right? See? (laughs) And I was just like, I did it! I got it! But you get it because you're 35. I'm 38. (laughs) X-Files has come back, but... I also think only old people are watching it. I hate to say that, but (laughs) I don't know. I think it's probably true. In the end, like what you were saying, things that people are very familiar with is a great way when you're going high concept. So everyone knows the story of Cinderella, right? Exactly. It has to be something that everyone is familiar with. For this, it doesn't mean that you have to write a story based off of some other story, but it just, it needs to be something that anyone can understand. 
So you're looking for middle grade and maybe lower YA to write choose-your-own-adventure stories in just about any genre. Keep it a little away from anything too dark, I would imagine. So do you have any tips on how to write a story that works well in the choose-your-own-adventure format? Because that's a very specific layout. If you've ever read Query Shark or anything else about how to pitch, the thing that's really critical about a novel is your plot. And a lot of people want to focus on the premise rather than the plot. Whereas with Choose Your Own Adventure, the premise is actually what's really important because you don't have a single plot. If you're pitching one of your stories, you need to say, like, this is what happens in the book. Whereas if you're pitching one of these stories, you need to say, like, this is what this book is about. So that's what the premise is. You first need to think of, okay, what is your premise? So again, with Cinder Charming, it's that you're Cinderella or Prince Charming. The next thing is these stories always have to be written in second person present tense because the person that is experiencing it is the main character. So for instance, you wake up in the woods, you realize that you need to get home. Oh, but where is your home? Is it the palace or a modest cottage? And then at that point, then the person gets to talk to the device and say which one. Everything is you in present tense. And again, that's because the player is a character. The last thing is the way I rate it, and I think the way that works best, is once you have your general idea of the premise, then think about, okay, what are my major story nodes? So for instance, with Cinder Charming, you're obviously Cinderella or Prince Charming. And so as Cinderella, you could wait around for something magical to happen, which I had that like immediately kill you. Go look for your father's will, murder your stepfamily. And then at some point, there was something that came in where a fairy comes to you because you took action. And then you could also go on the path to try to win Prince Charming. Same on the Prince Charming side. His whole motivation is that he wants to get a dragon and the palace is broke. And so he could either try to get a rich wife, and that's what takes you the normal Cinderella path, or he could try to just set out and find a dragon on his own. And then you could get two different types of dragons, and there's like a different adventure for each of those types of dragons. Once you have the idea of the main paths, then you can sit down and write each one of them. And I didn't find it very difficult. Some people seem to find it difficult, and other people, it comes naturally. I think it's one of those things you have to try it out and see if it works for you. Would you encourage people to read some Choose Your Own Adventure books to get the feel for how the plot moves and the wording? Definitely. I mean, I think that could help. And also, if you go to our website, which is just selectastory.com, if you sign up for our mailing list, I will send you the full text of Cinder Charming as well as the map that I drew out of how all of the paths intersect with all of the other paths. And I also have a blog that explains step-by-step how you write one of these things, how I go about drawing out these maps as I'm writing so that it is coherent and makes sense to me. If you look at the book and then you look at the map and you read through my blog and you see how to write one of these things, it should all be pretty clear to you at that point. So if someone is interested in writing for you and for Select a Story, how do they go about finding you? So like I said, you can go to the website, which is selectastory.com. There's a writer's tab and then there's a contact tab. So it'll tell you how to contact me. And then, like I said, there's also a blog that goes through how to write one of these things. So those are the major ways. I'm also on Twitter uh, at Select a Story.
Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. If you find the podcast or blog helpful, please consider making a donation by visiting GoFundMe.com and searching for Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire. Or visit the blog by going to writerwriterpantsonfire.blogspot.com. Click on the podcast tab and then the PayPal button. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. Join me next week for another episode of Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire, where writers talk about things that never happened to people that don't exist.